I know a lot of writers, and I know a lot of successful, and well-published, well and New York Times best-selling authors. The ones who are really making it are not letting those things go. They are taking care of their bodies. They are taking care of their routines, because that's what it requires. Welcome to The Author Biz, the show where we discuss the business of being an author. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and this is episode number 43. Wherever you are, however you listen, thanks for spending some of your time with me today. What's the biggest problem you're facing today as an author? It depends, doesn't it? Depends on what stage you're currently at on your writing journey. But no matter where you are, there's one attribute or characteristic that we all need if we're going to be successful as an author or successful at anything, really. And that is the ability to persist. The Webster's Dictionary defines persistence as the quality that allows someone to continue doing something or trying to do something, even though it's difficult or opposed by other people. Well, we all want it to be easy. And we see the stories of people for whom it is easy. But that's not me, and I bet it's not you either. Writing a good book isn't easy. Marketing a great book isn't easy. Selling enough books to be a full-time writer is so unusual that it's noteworthy today. Finding an agent, finding a publisher, heck, even writing the next book after your first book was a huge success is tough. That's why persistence is so important. My guest today is an author, an editor, and a writing teacher. She believes we should look at our writing and the business of writing, really, as a practice. As you'll hear in the interview, the more we treat our writing as a practice, the less likely we are to give in to pressure and to self-sabotage, and importantly, to taking bad advice. Treating your writing as a practice makes it easier to persist. She's written an extraordinary new book on the topic called The Writer's Guide to Persistence, How to Create a Lasting and Productive Writing Practice. Now, let's learn from Jordan Rosenfeld. Jordan Rosenfeld, welcome to The Author Biz. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. You just published a book, A Writer's Guide to Persistence, How to Create a Lasting and Productive Writing Practice, something that we all want. So I am thrilled to have you on as a guest of the show, and congratulations on uh, publishing the book. Thank you so much. I read the book, and my sense in reading the book, uh, my senses were were two. I was really encouraged in reading the book and and what you laid out. I was encouraged about my own uh, writing practice, and I was calmed, which almost never happens when I read a nonfiction book. I I think that's a a very rare combination. Is that what you were going for with the book? It is, actually. I I love that you felt encouraged, because that's, I would say, my number one goal as a writing teacher and coach and editor. But I also like that you felt calmed, because... I feel like a lot of what stops writers up is just the very the internal mental noise, you know, our own critical voices, listening to what other people have to say, critic, you know, criticism we receive. So it is my goal because I feel like if we can come from a calm place in our writing practice, 
um, a centered place, a place where we're kind of just in communication with ourselves and not so much the external world, our writing deepens and we have a much likelier uh, chance of getting published. And and you very intentionally use the term practice, a, a writing practice. Why is that? Because that's one of the things that uh, that calmed me. It, it's not I've got to finish this book or I've got to meet this deadline. I've got to get better at my writing practice. Was you know what I initially got out of the book and from just starting. Well, it comes from two places. Um, for one thing, I, I think that, you know, I, I was thinking about people who have a yoga practice, for instance. You mm-hmm. never hear them say, like, I got to get my, my yoga perfect today or I'm not going to, you know, meet mm-hmm. my goals. You mm-hmm. know, yoga people don't talk like that. They see it as a part of their lives. And uh, I think that the more we treat our writing as a part of our lives, the less we give in to all of those things like pressure and rushing and sabotaging ourselves and taking bad advice. You know, when you have a writing practice, it means you, you learn to trust your own instincts and you learn to hone your own instincts. You get, as you said, you improve them to the point where you don't have to be constantly, um, you're not as easily swayed by the changes. You know, publishing, writing is a very changeable field. You know, the publishing landscape changes constantly. You know, some years it used to be a stigma to self-publish. Now everybody's doing it. You know, editors are taking this kind of book, but not that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you let your, if you have a practice, you've got this deep root inside yourself. Where, at least from my point of view, you are not so much um, like a, a little reed in the wind. You know, constantly being blown back and forth. You have a real, a real center, and that can that makes so much of a difference in the writers that I see who are successful. And I suspect that a lot of us feel like we are the reed in maybe in a hurricane at any given mm-hmm. time because the winds are swirling and blowing so hard and changing direction so fast. And the idea of a practice, something that we do on a on a daily, regular basis where we're just getting better and better and better, it, it is a calming, calming thing. Now, are you a yoga person? I take yoga, but I'm not as you know, dedicated as I would like to be. (laughs) Okay. All right. We did a survey of AuthorBiz listeners a couple of weeks ago. And in going through and sort of summarizing the responses, one of the questions was, what's your biggest challenge? And as you might imagine, the biggest challenge was marketing and discoverability. But the second biggest challenge, um, I lumped together in time management, and it, it was things like finding time to finish my book, being consistent with my writing, uh, finding time to write, period. Uh, th- th- this was a funny one. Time, focus, wait, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> right. Lack of time and time management. And those are things that you touched on pretty comprehensively in your book. So that's probably a great place to start today um, with s- – the concept of time and how we can take advantage of the time that we have to do the best work we can. Mm-hmm. Ironically, everything in this book comes back down to something that's even before time, but I will talk about that, which is that, you know, when you have, if you have a practice, you have a passion for what you do on some level, and maybe that's the actual act of writing or it's what you're writing about, but you have some sort of drive toward it. And I think that when people find what that sort of passion is, for lack of a better word, um, 
Then things like carving out distractions to make more time to write, um, putting the writing first before other obligations becomes easier because you you have this value system that, you know, my writing is important because I'm going to do it because, you know, it's my voice, it's my way of making change in the world, or it's going to be my career. So I feel like, you know, time comes and you make, you're willing to, to carve it out when you know why you write. So that's important. Um, second of all, most of us have more time in our day than we sort of admit to ourselves because there are things that we don't necessarily, either we haven't looked at how we're spending our time, which is a good way to start, um, or we're, we're not prioritizing our time properly. So, you know, if you are a person who likes to watch a lot of shows or you like to, you have things you do that compete with your writing at some point, it's like a relationship. You have to decide, you know, how committed am I to this writing? Um, am I willing to give up this time when I would watch that show? Am I willing to give up, um, you know, my, my obsessive need to organize my closet instead <laughs> of writing? Um, this is a big one. Lots of people, uh, sort of procrastinate writing by doing chores. It's like no one wants to do their chores until they have to write. Um, <laughs> and then there's also, yeah, well, I'm me too, you know. The other thing is that a lot of writers I see, they do, let's say they're in the act of submission ro- uh, mode. So they do submit their work to, you know, literary journals and agents and editors in some form or another, they're, they're seeking publication. And um, while they're waiting They just wait. (laughs) They go, well, I sent out three things. Now I'm just going to wait, and I'm going to agonize, and I'm going to wonder if it's going to be accepted. And I'm a big fan of using your waiting time to produce more material. So, you know, maybe you have a day of the week that you send out submissions, and then you have, you know, once those submissions are sent out, you get right back to work. You get right back to the writing practice. And again... If it's a practice, then you're doing it in some way, shape, or form, you know, hopefully on a daily level, but at least on a weekly level. One of the things that I hear and I I hear people ask is it's as though there is a best time to do things and a best way to do things. And in reading your book, uh, you make it clear that, that there's not a best way. Uh, or a best time, and and that we're all a little bit different. But how do we yeah. how do we find the best time? Well, I kind of recommend you take an, you take it on as an experiment. You say for the next two weeks, I'm going to try writing uh, in the early morning before you know the kids get up. I'm going to try writing at night after work. I'm going to try writing on my lunch break, and you find your rhythm. I mean, in a way. Getting deeply into your writing practice is about getting to know your own rhythms, and sometimes we don't know them. We just have been flying by the seat of our pens, so to speak. <laughs> and so, I I recommend really you take some time to you take some time to make some time. Oh my gosh, I'm a commercial um, <laughs> and flying by the seat of your pen. You, I'm just writing true. all this stuff down. This is great. <laughs> I swear, it's like, you know, I didn't realize I would be making puns this morning. Experimenting experimenting with several different times. I would pick, like, all right, these are the three most likely times I can write, you know, based on my schedule. Let me try them out and test, run, test drive them and see how they feel and see how I feel and what comes out of the material. And I, I tend to recommend doing things for a stretch of time so you have, you know, if you only try it once and it doesn't work, that doesn't necessarily, you might have had a bad day, you know. So um, experimenting with that, with finding your time. And some people, most people actually, I find actually have a, 
an intuitive sense of when their time, you know, what time of day is best for them, but they often have schedule conflicts. And so, it's again, it comes back down to that, can I rearrange my schedule in such a way that I commit to the best time of day for me to write? And um, this comes also back down to taking the writing seriously enough that you can say to, you know, spouses and jobs and people in your life, this is my writing time, this is my work time in some way. You know, people leave work to go to exercise classes. Why can't we be allowed to take time to do the writing that is necessary? I think it's possible for a lot of people. One of the, There was actually a little section in the book that surprised me until I read it, and that's the idea of dealing with too much time, because uh-huh. we, it never feels like we have too much time, but sometimes we do. Well, you know, as an example, when I quit my last job over 10 years ago, I want to say 15, um, to freelance full-time, and I had been freelancing on the side for a long time, I, was in, I encountered, you know, this experience of too much time. Suddenly, my day was completely structured by me, and even though I'm a very self-motivated person, I did experience, it took me a good two weeks, maybe a month, to find a stride where I didn't just waste that time that I had and, and feel a little bit overwhelmed and swimming in it. So, yeah, too much time is a real thing, especially if you've had a life change. Let's say you've retired or you got laid off or you left a job or a marriage or something where time has suddenly opened up. You tell yourself, oh, I'm going to write and do all this writing. And then, you know, you just end up binge watching Game of Thrones or something, you know. Um, So it's, again, if we come back to practice, you know, writing is also very much like exercise in that we often feel better having written than, than we look forward to sitting down to write. Um, but when you make something habitual in your life, then it's, it gives you a, like a sense memory, a bodily sense memory of doing it. So that then you, you know, on the fifth day or the second week, you wake up and you, you're just geared toward, oh, I'm going to get up and write or I'm going to write on my lunch break. I found I read something, oh, I don't know, a year and a half or two years ago where this person described getting out of bed, I think it was a a woman, uh, a writer, and she got out of bed, and the first thing she did was go out and turn her computer on, then she fixed a cup of coffee, and then she sat down and started writing. She didn't brush her teeth, she didn't comb her hair, she didn't shower, she sat down and started writing. And I thought, I'm going to try that. So I tried it the next morning, and it worked, and I tried it the next morning, and Mm -hmm. it worked. And it, it became a little bit of a habit until it wasn't a habit anymore. It, mm. it's something happened and I stopped doing it. Um, I think we all probably have things like this where we develop a routine and then life gets in the way and we yeah. can't keep up with the routine. Um, right. it, should we then try to find a new routine or, or be a little bit more self-conscious of the, the routine that was working for us and do what we can to get back to that? I think it's going to be a little bit of both. So sometimes what happens when when we fall out of a routine is that it it wasn't actually working as well as we thought, or we sort of believed the lie of, you know, our ego, our critical voices that said, you don't really need to do this every day. You know, we, we, it's like anything. I mean, I feel like the other reason that I use the word practice is that as a culture, we've shifted more toward like, everything should feel good. Everything should be easy. Mm -hmm. I should write a book and publish it in a month (laughs) instead of, you know, work can actually feel good as well. You can feel proud and satisfied and, and as if you're building something. So, um, I think sometimes we fall out of our routines because we get 
we want our complacency back. We want our comfort versus the work. And that's human. I mean, nobody should feel bad for that. We all do it. Um, but it is good to be able to become a person who can sort of self-check your routines and say, you know, am I not doing this anymore because it just genuinely isn't working for me? Or am I kind of getting a little, I don't want to use the word lazy because that's judgmental, but mm-hmm. a little complacent in my routine and I need to, you know. Let me also add one thing here. Um, one of the key components of the book, which is very small in the sense that it doesn't take up a lot of word count, is that every chapter has a suggestion yes. for physical movement. Mm-hmm. And I do that on purpose because I've sort of learned it myself the hard way over the years that, you know, writers sit a lot or, you know, if you're like me, I have a, a standing workstation, but nonetheless, I'm at my desk a lot, all day. And I forget to move my body. And yet there's all this research that's shown that the more we move our bodies, you know, so let's say you go exercise even for 10 minutes or just take a break, your brain actually kind of recharges or resets or, you know, this is not science language, but um, prepares you to go back to work, but you have to take a break. And so... You're right. Something that you mentioned in the book uh, over and over again is uh, really these lifestyle type issues, Uh, things like movement, taking breaks, getting enough sleep, eating properly, all of Mm -hmm. the things that we don't really think of in terms of writing, um, but they're, they're critically important. Well, and they're also, again, we keep coming back to the idea of practice. To me, writing practice is like writing lifestyle, writing as part of your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And so um, if you are trying to be a healthy person in the world, then your writing is a part of that journey or a part of that process. So, yeah, you eat well, you sleep well, you exercise well, you write well. You know, they all go together. And, um, you know, writers are notoriously, we get stereotyped as being like, you know, drinkers and smokers and people who ignore our bodies. But honestly, the ones that I know, I know a lot of writers and I know a lot of successful and well-published and New York Times bestselling authors. Mm -hmm. Um, The ones who are really making it are not letting those things go. They are taking care of their bodies. They are taking care of their, you know, their routines because that's what it requires. I read uh, I read a blog post from Christine Catherine Rush, who you may know, um, but Chris is a a really dedicated everyday writer, really busy, publishes very, very, very consistently. And the blog post was basically, I'm taking a minute to write this and let you know that I have run, I think it was three miles a day. I haven't missed a day in the last 365 days. And I just thought that was astonishing. (laughs) Wow. In the midst of all that other stuff. Well, you know, again, we... I'm sort of torn between, I don't want people to feel like you need to pack your life so full that, you know, you like carve out just enough time to jam it full of writing. But um, I do feel like there's a balance element that's, you know, important that we need to start looking at what matters to really matters to us in our lives. And, and then you can work in the writing, but usually it means something has to go. And a lot of us are resistant to letting go of things that we, you know, turn to for comfort and or just fill our days with because we're tired. We work hard. So I do admire the person who, who runs every day. And um, she probably writes like a fiend as well. Oh, she does. She absolutely she's does. She's habituated to practice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And she has time to watch her favorite one or two television shows every week. But it's not, 
you know, 10 television shows. It's it's right. one or two. So it, it's it, like it's you said, balance. And this is a this is a good time for us to transition into sort of balancing. And how do we how do we as authors determine what to focus on? Because it, obviously it's all individual uh, for each of us. But, you know, we're talking about doing more of this and less of this. Um, mm-hmm. What's the process for actually figuring that out? <laughs> well, again, everyone has a different process for So you really, you're asking, how do I go about sort of prioritizing the writing in my life? Well, it's not, not so much on a daily basis, but how do you figure out that I, you know, like I, I really don't need to, to watch American Idol uh, oh, twice a week or however yeah. often it's on? Um, you know, that, wh- how do you, how do you decide what's, what, what to be, what should be tossed aside? Yeah, that's a good question. Where does the triage start, essentially? Mm-hmm. Um, well, first of all, I think you have to, again, you have to come back to asking yourself, like, you know, what is it I, why do I want to write? And what project is burning inside me right now? Um, you know, because most of the time we're, we're in this triage place, it's probably because a particular project or a particular kind of writing is calling to us right now. Like, I've been meaning to write this book, the novel of my ancestors, passage through India. So I'm, I'm ready to write it now. Okay. You've made that, that sort of decision. Then, then is when you begin the triage. So it's going to be like, well, how many hours a week do I need to write? Or, or again, going back to this, well, what time of day did I de- determine was going to be my best time of day? Oh, what do you know? It falls right at that time when American Idol comes on. <laughs> well, that's going to have to go. Um, or, you know, it, it's early in the morning, which means I have to go to bed an hour earlier, which means I, whatever X, Y, Z thing I do at that hour has to go, you know, no more Facebook before bedtime, um, which is my, uh, that's my guilty pleasure. I'm always <laughs> on Facebook for an hour before bed instead of reading. And that, that has to go. Um, I shouldn't say always when I, when I'm falling out of my own habits. Mm-hmm. So when you determine a, what it is, you know, why you want to write, what you want to write and what time of day is ideal for you, then the question of what has to go will become much more evident. Um, the, the greater question is, you know, how well will you let it go? Um, and in that case, sometimes it's really good to have a partner, uh, like a, a writing buddy who sort of can help hold you accountable or to whom you feel accountable and can say, you know, maybe set some goals together and, and have them check in with you and say, what, you know, did you write tonight or show me your writing tomorrow? This, this was a big part of, of the book, the idea of, writing buddies, um, support buddies, things like that, because writing can be such a solitary thing. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's really easy for us to get into bad situations. And and yeah. and your idea of really being proactive uh, about having these specific people in your life, and I can't remember the exact term for sort of like the <laughs> support group, but... Um, well, yeah. But that, well, I, that I was really valuable two. to me because I don't have that. And uh, I have people yeah. who it feels like are there, but I, I don't have like a, an organized process in my own mind that this is the person I should go talk to right now because I'm feeling this. Yeah. I, I call it your creative support team. And I also use a term which I laugh because my publisher let me use this term, which is accountability. <laughs> <laughs> I had I to like read to that laugh. three times. <laughs> I know, right? Try try and say it. <laughs> accountability. Buddy. This is like, you know, the buddy that, that really holds you accountable. Um, mm-hmm. Your creative support team, to me, there's no, you know, exact um, 
makeup for this team. But for me, I, I suggest you have on board someone who can just be your, your like cheerleader supporter who's not going to be the person that gives you the hard feedback, but that when you are down and low is going to be like, you're a great writer. You need to get, you know, come back to it. Don't give up on your writing. And then you need that person who gives you honest feedback in a way that is supportive, that's, that's designed to improve the work, not designed to make you feel like a bad person or a bad writer. And then, you know, you might have a mentor, someone who's ahead of you on the path that, that can say, oh, yeah, I've been there, and here's what I did to get through it. So, that, like, that's sort of that, that triangle of people. If you have, you know, honestly, if you have one person you can, whose feedback you can trust regardless, that's, that's like, fantastic. So that little trio is very useful. And I think, I really believe that writers, we need to work alone, but we need to um, commiserate together. You know, we need support to keep going because it's really too easy to let the negative voices take over. And it does not matter what stage of success you are at. I know writers at every stage who still grapple with the demons of, am I a fraud? Am I any good? What if I'm out of material? I, you know, I wrote all the books I could ever write. Mm-hmm. Um, what if I'll never write one? All of it along the way. And you some know, of the most famous it. writers in the world go through that halfway through whatever their current book is. They might have had, hit the New York Times bestseller list 20 yeah. times in a row, but halfway through the current book, they're, they're still thinking, oh, my God, I'm a fraud. <laughs> and yeah. it's stunning to people that, uh, like, I'm not in that position. And when I hear them say that, it's stunning to me. But when I get in that position myself, I think, oh, you know, they're kidding. But, but they're not. And the idea of yeah. these, the, uh, the creative support team is almost sort of a reminder that, hey, this mm-hmm. happens to everybody. Well, you know, I, I will say I'm not necessarily a churchgoer, but I believe in, in church and depending on your religion, I feel like writers need the church of other writers where we can come to each other for being inspired and reminded and lifted up, you know, because it is isolating and there's nothing... Um, I don't know, more dense or gray than, you know, the one person interacting with her own mind. (laughs) You know, there's no, you need outside input and feedback. You know, I find this a lot. I can't tell you how much, um, you know, when I edit a manuscript for someone, and sometimes I'm not even heavily handed um, in my editing, I'm just giving feedback like comments. And people just say things to me as if no one has ever given them feedback in their lives. And I realize how powerful it is just to have an outside person come in and say, huh, did you think about this? Or, Mm -hmm. well, I don't quite know what you're saying here. You know, it's a very important function. And um, so, yeah, there was something else I wanted to say along the lines. Oh, it reminds me of something. So I've seen Anne Lamott, the author, speak a number mm-hmm. of times. And, and that's, the, that's the bird something bird. I can't remember. Bird by the, Bird is bird, her yeah. famous writing book. She's mm-hmm. written a lot of other books, too. But um, And she, she lives in the town where I grew up, and my um, my family actually knows her, which is funny. Cause oh, cool. She doesn't know me. <laughs> but I've heard her speak. And one of the things she's said a number of times in a number of much more hilarious ways than I will say it is that, you know, you think – that success is going to come along and fill up all your empty holes and make you happy and take away all your suffering. And then you find out that actually not only does it not do any of those things, but now you have the spotlight on you and people (laughs) wanting more and pressure and demands. And at the end of the day, you're still just you and your own voices. So I like that's another reason why you need a creative support team (laughs) is that even when you're successful, I would in fact would say, especially when you're successful, because you know, you need 
you need reminders that it's, you know, it, we're all human at the end of the day and more similar than not. So. Okay. Now, you, you mentioned something a little while ago, and I've, I've drawn arrows around it, and I have a big square around it because I wanted to go back to it. And this okay. was something, when you were talking about going to Facebook at night, the, something yeah. that you, you, you called it falling out of your own habits. What do yeah. you do? Because we all do that, and it's really easy to beat yourself up uh, when that yeah. happens. But I'm guessing that's not the approach you take. I don't beat myself up anymore. I did used to when I was younger. Um, now what I do is I set myself a goal like, well, I want to read this book and it's not going to get read by itself. So I stick it by my bedside and I set time limits for myself. Uh, you know, So instead of saying I can't go on Facebook, I shorten mm-hmm. the amount of time. Like what I, f- I found, so I'd fallen out of reading for a while. And part of that was because I'd been driving a lot, so I'd been listening to audiobooks. Mm-hmm. So even though I was still hearing books, it wasn't the same. And so what I did is I said to myself, okay, um, at night I have to write one journal page and read 10 book pages. That's it. And 10 pages, when you get right down to it, it's nothing. That's all. So it was Mm -hmm. like get in bed, one journal page, 10 pages of reading. And I walked walked myself back up to reading on a regular basis and writing more, um, which I needed to do. And it just works. It's like, you know, increments. Um, There's a great book, and of course I'm going to forget, well, it's not necessarily anything new. It's a book, I think, called The Happiness Advantage. And he, and I think I refer to this in my book, he talks about something called the, the, the 22nd rule, um, where mm-hmm. if you make, if you shave just 20 seconds off of the time required to get to the thing you're trying to do. So if you're trying to write more, if you put your notebook beside your bed instead of in the office, you know, if you're trying to read more, put the book by your bed, whatever, that you're far more likely to do it if it takes just 20 seconds less time than it did before. So that the the goal of getting yourself toward any routine is incremental rather than trying to make a whole huge lifestyle change. Mm -hmm. You do it in small pieces. And you hear this from any, you know, once upon a time I had to make some massive nutritional uh, changes to my diet because I had allergies. And she said to me, don't try to make these all overnight. They won't stick. You have to do them incrementally. And I think that's the same for writing and for changing habits. You know, beating yourself up doesn't, you know, all it does is it makes you dig in your heels like a little Mm -hmm. kid Mm -hmm. and do more of the bad thing. (laughs) It's just how it is. Okay. One, another of the things that you talk about in the book that is something that we all deal with. We're all, as a part of writing and marketing our work, we have to be on social media. And we see what's happening or we see what other people are presenting as what's happening in their world. Um, and, a, and a lot of times it really is happening. Or, you know, we'll see that so-and-so got uh, a $5 million advance uh, or this or that or the other thing. And it's really easy to become envious. And and that yeah. was a topic that you dealt with in the book, the idea of envy and, and how toxic it can be. Yeah, envy is very toxic, and we're all subject to it at one point or another. And I feel like one thing I should say is that I think learning how to handle envy gets a little easier the older you get. You know, it's, <laughs> it's a lot harder when you're 20-something and haven't lived very long and feel like there's all these milestones you want to hit mm-hmm. than it is to have maybe gone a little further into your life and know that, you know, actually uh, things come to you eventually if you work at them, you know. Um, so it, it, it's a complex topic, but the first thing I would always say is that one of the things, one of the f- most 
um, through simple ways to look at envy in my experience is to see it as, well, you're envious because the other person has or is doing something you want in your own life. And so in a way, it's actually information to you about, you know, and it might be new information to you. You might not realize that you wanted that, whether it's a person's career or, you know, they write in a certain way. So I like to look at it as a, as a signpost. Oh, you know, I want to go more in that direction. Another sort of way to look at envy, I think, or to handle it is um, to, I'm trying to think how to put this. Um, for one thing, anytime you're looking outside of yourself at other people's success, there's a, here's a quote that I, I have in the book. Um, from a man whose name is hilariously Harold Coffin. He says, um, envy is the art of counting the other fellow's blessings instead of your own. Um, I love that because it's, mm-hmm. it's, you're stealing energy from your own you know, writing process, for one thing. So first of all, identify it. Okay, I want more of that. And then you know, come back to what we've been talking about. Well, I know what I want now, so what are the steps that I have to take to get it in my own life, in my own writing practice? rather than wasting all this emotional time on the other person. Um, Another thing is to try not to engage other people's envy if it comes your way, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and to try to remember it's the same thing. It's their their yearning for what you have. And this, as I say, everything circles back down in this book to the, the very key principle. The whole point of this book is that if you understand why you write, what it means to you, you know, the value of your writing and you find that passion and maybe passion is not the right word for everyone. Maybe it's drive or ambition or purpose. Then you have, you're, you're just already going to have this route that you can always come back to. This is why I'm doing it. This is why it matters to me. And so if you have that at the base of everything, then you're not always looking at what other people have Unless you're using their success as a, like a study. Well, I'm going to study what they did to mm-hmm. get where they are. You know, that is actually a very useful practice um, to look at someone else's career and see, you know, even should you be so fortunate to be able to speak to or interview um, a writer you admire and ask them, you know, what are, what are some of the things you did that you feel contributed to your success? A lot of writers are very generous with that information. Um, but always trying to take that focus off other people and bringing it back into your own self, your own practice. You know, just generate more work. <laughs> Write more and worry less about the other guy's blessings. Oh, right. For people who haven't yet read your book, why do you, why do you write? And, and what, mm. what is it that motivates you? That's a good question, huh? And I should have a really pithy answer you for that, You should. Right? I mean, this, this should be one of those uh, really quick answers that I could write down quickly and uh, put on a, well, a meme. Uh, honestly, I've been writing since I was, uh, earnestly, since I was eight years old. I have mm-hmm. stories, you know, penned at the age of eight. And I would say that the origin of my writing is that I, I wrote to make sense of my experiences as a child, which were fairly complex and not, not easy. I had some tough growing up experiences. And so I think that that was what I did with it as a child. And then I quickly learned that it was a really wonderful way to express myself and that um, it was a way to get people to listen to me. So uh, that was really the source of it. Now, as an adult, (laughs) I I feel like I write because I can't not write, which is mm-hmm. not a good answer. I, I write. That's a great I love... answer. I think that's I think that's an amazing answer, and it, it's it's something that that comes out in the book. But uh, go ahead. Well, I didn't mean to yeah. interrupt, but I, I think it's well, a great only, answer. The only reason it's not a good answer is that some people don't feel that, and then they think, well, I shouldn't write because I don't have this burning, you know, feeling like if I don't write, 
Mm-hmm. It doesn't. I think, but I think people have to find that kernel. Uh, I mean, I would say, you know, I write for a living now. So the writing I do for a living, I do because I love to to find a story about something that matters to me and then present it to other people in a way that can can open their eyes to it. Like, you know, I'm writing currently about um, the way the the natural world uh, sort of helps children cognitively grow and develop and how important nature is to children's growth. That's a subject that's very important to me. And um, I like to write about things that interest me and hope, you know, maybe it's like we all want a little soapbox in the world, right? Mm -hmm. And then my fiction, I tend to, I'm interested in exploring aspects of the human psyche that I perhaps find perplexing, um, interesting, but confusing. You know, it's like my way, my own way of exploring what I don't understand. And then in the hopes that I can then tell a good story through the process. I guess ultimately, I think most writers are storytellers of some kind. I really do. You know, whether it's a more of an educational sort of storytelling or a desire to, you know, more pedagogical to teach. Most writers I know have something to say and firm, firm opinions and feelings about it. All right. Now, we've been talking about writing as a practice. And yeah. as, as a practice something that we want to continually do. And and one of the things that I like most about writing in general, and I came to wanting to be an author very late in life. So there's a ton of things that I can learn, but I know that I can continue to develop myself as, as long as I have the mental capacity to do it. It's, it's not something, there is no end of the line. If we want to keep learning, how do we, how do we develop this love of learning and, and understand uh, or, or how important is it that we develop that love of learning and understand that it, it needs to be a part of our practice? But that's, you know, think about anybody who's in a field where they have to get um, continuing education, mm-hmm. you know, which a lot, my husband is a psychologist, for instance, and in his field, he has to continually every year get more CEUs. And it has the added benefit of being interesting <laughs> that he gets to learn more feedback. You know, it helps him be a better therapist. So I feel like it is, as you said, a crucial part of being a writer is that, you know, to, after a certain point, you've sort of mined your own inner landscape as far as you can. I mean, most, most of the time, you know, we, some of us write from the inside out and some of us research and write from the outside out, I guess. Um, but it, I feel like if you aren't adding to your knowledge base, not only literal knowledge, like, you know, topics of, of interest, but also craft, how to write, how to play with new elements of the craft that you haven't explored. Um, if, you're, if you're not doing those things, you're eventually going to stay static. And if your goal is to be um, a competitively published person, whether that's um, just on your blog and continuing to get readers, or it's to make money at it, or it's to write books, you have to, um, you have to keep bringing in new information. And I, I think I would also say that I think people are more interesting when they continue to grow and we grow by adding more. And it's not just brain knowledge, but we, mm-hmm. we deepen our understanding and we expand our empathy, all those things that happen to us when we read about people, places and subjects that we didn't previously understand or know. So I think it's wonderful. And I think that if you really are dedicated to your writing practice, then it will become you know, learning more will become a joyful part of the process. You will want to do it. Okay. Now, I, I couldn't let you go. You are, you're both an author, well, you're an author, you're an editor, you're a writing coach, and I think you mentioned the fourth thing that I didn't write down fast enough. What's, it, was there a fourth thing? Um, let's see. I edit, I teach, 
I coach writers. Teach. Okay. All right. Well, I write myself too. Um, I don't know. If I think that's it. Okay. All right. So covers it. for people that are maybe at the beginning stages of a, of a writing career, uh, at, at yeah. what point should an author think about hiring an editor or even a coach? I, we've never talked about writing coaches on this show, and I don't really want to get deep into that. But mm-hmm. when, when should an author start looking outside for, for paid help? So this is what it comes down to. I say, first of all, you want to hire an editor when you're willing to spend more money to have someone tell you to do more work. But when generally comes at the point where you think you are getting ready to interact with professionals. So if you're writing a book length work and you're thinking, I'm ready to find an agent or, you know, or if you're going directly to a small press, or even if you are ready to self-publish your manuscript mm-hmm. without the, the gatekeeper, you want to hire a developmental editor. That's pretty much the, the real stage. I, what I feel like before that, you might want to engage, you know, beta readers and feedback partners so that you don't have to spend money on the early drafts to get feedback. But some people need that. I have clients who just, every book they write, they want my feedback. Um, they don't trust, you know, and that's just individual people. They don't trust their their fellows. They want, I'm kind of like that too. I want to pay you to hear you. If someone tell me I need to do it, um, you know, maybe they also know that they need that whip cracked. But not everyone has that kind of financial freedom. So, All right. Before we close today, um, can you give us three things that we can begin doing immediately that will help us to create a lasting and productive writing practice? Uh, I talk about, actually, in in Chapter 2, I talk about something I call um, your writer's code, building a writer's code. Yes. And, you know, I'm giving away information, but that's okay. And really, it actually is, it's asking yourself three questions. And the questions are, you sit down and you ask yourself, what is the value of my writing? And that's really answering that, that part I've been talking about all along. You know, why do I write? What does mm-hmm. it mean to me? And, and what can it mean to the world? And then you ask, what is my writing rhythm? And we did discuss that. But this is where you get clear about, you know, what are the likely times of day that I can write? How much? How often? And then try it out. And then you ask yourself, and this is a little more esoteric, but you ask, what am I willing to risk? And that question has to do with, well, am I going to be telling everyone in my life I'm a writer? Am I going to uh, apply for a writing job? Like, what? where are you in this process with yourself? Ask yourself, how committed am I right now? And what am I willing to do? What next step on the journey? Not just, well, I want to write now, you know, back to work, you know, back to life as usual. So asking yourself, because there are, we all have to take little risks along the way to become the writer we want to be. It, we can't stay stagnant. So um, I don't know if those count as three things. Let me think. No, they no, they, they absolutely yeah? count as three things. Okay. And, and you're Excellent. saying I'm giving away information, but I actually read that section of the book at, at least twice. Uh, there's <laughs> a lot more than those three points in there. So yeah. uh, th- it, th- that's very valuable stuff. But these are things that we can do right away um, yeah. to, to, to help to solidify some of these things. And the whole idea yeah. of like your own personal writer's code, isn't it? it's almost like a... I don't know, a warrior or something, and, and, mm-hmm. and having a warrior's code. The, the idea Absolutely. of having this writer's code that you've developed for yourself that, that is just yours is very powerful. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm really glad we that. brought that up, and I, I should have oh, made good. a note to talk about that earlier, but I'm glad I didn't now because that was you our three things. Perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jordan, what's the best way for people to keep up with you, maybe learn more about your book? 
Okay, so I, I recommend two things. Go to my website, which is jordanrosenfeld.net, where you find my blog and my books, links, and my publications. And I'm very active on Twitter, so I'm at Jordan Rosenfeld. Those two ways are, are fabulous. And then, of course, you can always find me on Facebook, but um, my author page, which is Jordan Rosenfeld Author. Um, but Twitter alone, you probably get more than you bargained for. <laughs> no, that sounds bad. <laughs> I'm, I'm plenty <laughs> present there. I actually have a series of, I take sort of one-liner sound bites from my book and I run them as tweets. So you get a lot of inspirational tips on my Twitter page. I actually went to your Twitter page today, and you're absolutely right. There is a lot. And and now we have learned that if we can catch you on Facebook uh, before you, West Coast bedtime, that you've fallen out of your practice. <laughs> well, but I'm allowed 10 minutes. So okay. Maybe you're just catching me in my 10-minute window. <laughs> but right. it's okay. You can hold me accountable. I will link to all of this in the show notes which you'll find at theauthorbiz.com slash Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N. And so you don't have to remember all these links. They'll all be there. So, Jordan, thank you so very much for your time. I loved your book. It's, it's going to be so useful for people, and I'm, I'm thrilled that you're on the show with us today. Thank you. I really appreciate this, and you have great questions. So, Thank you. Like Thanks so much, Jordan. That was fantastic. Persistence really can be one of the most important attributes an author can have. But to be persistent, we need to do other things well. As I'm sure he could tell during the interview, I love the idea of treating your writing as a practice and all the other things that go along with that. I'm a goal-oriented person myself, and it's really easy for me to lose that balance that Jordan was talking about during the interview. You need that balance to create a lasting and productive writing practice. Please do check out her book, The Writer's Guide to Persistence. It's published by Writer's Digest Books, and it's available everywhere. I'll have links to the book and to Jordan's site on the AuthorBiz website, which is www.theauthorbiz.com. Check it out if you haven't been there yet. And lastly, if you like what you're hearing on the podcast, the best way to support us is to leave a rating or review over at iTunes. So that's it for this week. We'll talk again next Monday. Thanks for listening.